0: And bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reader.
1: If you got your copies of God's Word, turn with me to Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 13. We're going to look at a couple of passages tonight, and I um, want you to join me with that. Revelation, chapter 13. As you're turning there, um, just a couple of thoughts, um, working on a series for this summer. Uh, the session has, um, indicated to me that they would like for me to work on this topical expository series on, um, the, um, uh, giving an understanding of one of the dominant movements within the evangelical church. Honestly, having some tentacles into the PCA, and that's this matter of progressive Christianity. So, uh, I want to kind of take that on a little bit um, this summer, uh, even as we finish this series. I have two more sermons in this series, and we 'll be through in this um, in this series on the matters of if I should die before I wake now, just a couple of things before I read in the text here. Um, the first thing is uh, is that we have been through, this is kind of an addendum to what I actually started, which is just a matter of looking at what happens when we die. But as we got into it and began to work our way through it, uh, it became obvious that a lot of questions were rising, uh, up and understanding that when you die, your body goes to the grave and your soul goes to uh, some call it the intermediate. I've used that phrase, but I prefer to use the term immediate heaven. The immediate heaven whereby we're recognizable in a spiritual state. Our souls are perfected while the body lies in the grave. And in that glorious re- residence with the Lord, we anticipate the coming of the Lord. And when the Lord comes, then comes the judgment seat. And then comes For the believers, the new heavens and the new earth, all that are written in the Lamb's book of life. So as we looked at the immediate heaven to understand it, I mean, just stop and think. How many times have we, and I know we're well-meaning in saying this, uh, someone who has greatly suffered of maybe some physical maladies, Uh, in life. And then when they die, you know, we'll say things like, oh, I know she's just running around in heaven. Well, um, I'm not sure about the running around in heaven, but I know what your picture is and that awaits the new heavens and the new earth. Are they enjoying the presence of the Lord with God's people? Is it recognizable? Is there communication? Is there worship? Is there praise? Yes. But it's not the final state. The body, is yet to be glorified. That body is yet to be raised. That body is yet to be transformed into the everlasting state. And that's why it's important for us to understand those things, that I like to say it this way, at a graveside, as we commit and consecrate the body of the individual, I like to just simply say, one of the reasons we do this reverently is not because they're here, no, they're with the Lord, absent with the body, present with the Lord. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take, not body yet, soul to take. And then, uh, so grandmother was right theologically when she taught you that. And so that is one of those great blessings that we are aware of. But then we, the reason we do this with reverence is because the same God who caused our soul and our spirit to be born again isn't through with this body. That's why we say when we do the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body. When? Well, that's why we got into this addendum, when Jesus comes back. Okay, Harry, when is that? So we then studied those things that the Bible says are the signs of his coming and the end of the age. Then we studied what happens when he comes. Then we studied the judgment seat itself. And then we studied the two eternal destinations, the unbeliever with a raised body in which they, in which they endure the torments of hell for eternity and the believer with a resurrected body whereby we enjoy the blessings of a new heavens and a new earth that are joined together and we will be with the Lord uh, together as this Old heavens. Did you hear what we said this morning uh, in the in the book of Hebrews that there is coming a day when the things that are made will be shaken and then we will receive that which is cannot be shaken. And that's the anticipation. And so it will be we will have that glorified body whereby we can enjoy the Lord. But as we begin to look at the second coming and the judgment and the new heavens and the new earth, and as we worked our way through all of that... Uh, it became obvious that this second coming of Christ was something that we needed to spend just a little bit of time on, so we have. But I want to spend, uh, just two more Sundays on it tonight and tomorrow night, and the way I want you to approach it tonight is this. When I talk, when I, many times I'll talk to Christians and they'll say, you know, pastor, I think I'm undergoing spiritual warfare. Would you pray for me? Well, certainly I will. And, but the fact is, we seem to think spiritual warfare is a periodic, special encounter in our lives from time to time. The Bible tells us that spiritual warfare is your life. It's not a piece of life. It is your life. What is unusual are seasons of its absence. For instance, you're always at war against the old man within you. You're always at war to take every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. We are in a spiritual warfare now. It must be affirmed time and time again. This spiritual warfare isn't fought by us to see who wins. This spiritual warfare are the battles we fight in light of what he has done to win the victory. He has defeated all of our enemies, sin, Satan, hell, the grave. He has defeated them, but he has not destroyed them he has bound them from what they can and cannot do in this age but he has not set them aside that they are still active and as a christian personally you are always at war did not jesus tell you this did not jesus tell you in john 16:33 he said this in the world you have tribulation In me you have peace. Take courage. I have overcome the world. This gives rise to the very words of the apostle Paul, who says, "Shall I, shall I be separated from the love of God by famine, strife, nakedness, peril, death, life?" Principalities? No, in all these things we more than conquer through Christ who loves us. Christos Victor, because he has won the victory, then we are in this battle. You know, the very picture, I think I know. I've said it a number of times, but I really can't find a better one, is when when in World War II when they won that victory up on top of the cliffs of Normandy. Hitler was done. Now, you still had to fight hedgerow to hedgerow, village to village. There would be battle after battle. There would be casualties. But that was the strategic moment. And when Jesus came out of that grave, we win. The Lamb triumphs. The Lion of Judah is standing as the Lamb slain. That is the glorious truth that leads us into our personal battles. Secondly, the church is in spiritual warfare. Just like the individual Christian, the church who equips the Christian to fight the personal battles of spiritual warfare, the church will be under spiritual warfare. Did not Jesus say this to us in Matthew chapter 16? he said to he said to peter he said to the disciples who do people say that i am and they and they answered back uh, well some uh, some say you're john the baptist jeremiah elijah one of the prophets he said but who do you say that i am and and peter spoke up and said you're the christ the Son of the Living God, and he said, "Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, who is in heaven, and then he says, "I am going to Jerusalem, and there I will be put to death. He anticipates that great cataclysmic battle for the salvation of souls by the grace of God to the glory of God, and as he says that, and as he declares that, Peter <laughs> speaks up and um, after this glorious affirmation of what he said now he's about to get he's about to get a rebuke he steps up and he says god forbid he pronounces a malediction upon what jesus just said and then um i know some of you are sitting there did peter really think he knew better than jesus yeah (laughs) would you like to know how many times you think you know better than jesus our grumbling reveals it continually and, he's, and Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, get behind me, Satan. You're doing Satan's work. Satan's the one who wants to keep me from that cross to do that. Satan has, he says, get behind me, Satan. And this is what he says to him. After Peter had made this glorious declaration that he's the Christ, the Son of God, he said, Peter... Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I say to you, you're Peter. Upon this rock, his people confessing him as the Christ. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's our victory in Christ, right? Right? Just like as an individual Christian, where's my victory? In the world, I've got tribulation, I'm in a battle. But in Christ, I have peace, because Christ has overcome the world. Well, the same thing for the church, that we will be assaulted. Why would Jesus tell us that we prevail in him? Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If in fact, Satan and the kingdom of darkness does not try to prevail against the church and certainly does. The very picture of it is for you right here in Revelation chapter 12. Before we get to 13, I want you to back up and see the scope of this battle against the church. But can, I, can I do one more thing for us before, before we get to, I forgot something. Um, before we get there, one more thing I want you to say: In your personal spirit, in your spirit, in spiritual warfare, the church and you personally, both of us. As we engage in personal spiritual warfare and as we engage in spiritual warfare as Christ's church, with our confidence fixed on Jesus, as we do this, here's what we need to remember. Is that Satan always uses three strategies. They're revealed for you in the Bible. In fact, you're told, do not be ignorant of the snares and the schemes of Satan. He's got three strategies. And uh, let me try to help you with them. He loves to... Intimidate, imitate, and infiltrate. Those are his three schemes. He wants to intimidate so that we are silent. We retreat. We are, we are fearful because fear paralyzes. He goes about like a roaring lion. Now, secondly, Of course, what's your answer to that? Well, I got the lion of Judah. And he's already defeated this one. This one's, this one's all growl. Jesus is all victory. And so we know that. But that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to intimidate. Secondly, he wants to imitate the wheat and the tares, man-made religion, cults, and he loves to adulterate and corrupt. The professing church of Christ. That's what he enjoys doing. And he loves to imitate biblical Christianity. Thirdly, he loves to infiltrate. He loves to infiltrate churches with grumbling and complaining and gossip and slander in the fellowship. And he loves to infiltrate the leadership of the church. Remember what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Ephesus? Upon my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, teaching perverse things and to draw the flock away to themselves. He loves to infiltrate the leadership. He loves to infiltrate. Those are his three schemes. Can I take one more step with you in this overview of spiritual warfare in your personal life you're always facing an unholy trinity satan the flesh and the world satan who you do not fear you do not fear you resist him he will flee from you you flee temptation but you don't flee satan Now, we get that back. We think we resist temptation. No, you flee temptation. And we think we flee Satan. No, you resist him. And he will flee you for two reasons. One, Jesus has already bound the strong man at the cross. Secondly, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Not greater are you than him, but greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That's why... That's why... um, Martin Luther in that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress, says our God affirmed that Satan was greater than him, but he did not fear because of the Christ who had won the victory and the Spirit who is ours. And one little word from God fails him. He only continues this defeated foe until the day Jesus destroys him and death and hell and death and the grave and cast all of that into hell. So what you need to realize is there's Satan, the world and the flesh. In other words, Satan, your adversary and the world, that's the assault from the outside whom Satan uses to intimidate. What's the worst thing the world can do to you? What's the worst thing the world can do to you in the sovereign providence of God? Kill you. When they do or if they do, it only shortened your journey home. That's all it does. So we face the world and its threats and its And it's insanity and absurdity, as I said this morning. And what we do is don't leave the world, but we don't let the world in us. We're in the world, but not of the world. We don't leave the world. We stay in the battle. We stay in the fight. But we also don't let the world in us. And the other part of that unholy trinity you fight, Satan, the world, and the flesh... That's the old man that's still within you. The old man that that has the audacity every day to try to get back on the throne of your new heart in Christ. And you've got to kill that old man every single day. That's the spiritual warfare that we are in. But now, for tonight, there is an unholy trinity that we fight as God's people, His church, from the gates of hell that would come against us, it's the dragon or Satan, and the two beasts: the beast of the sea, and the beast of the earth, or the beast of the land. The 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 um, the dragon, the beast of the land, sea. And then the beasts of the earth are also called the false prophet. Those are the three that we fight as a church. So I want to take just a couple of minutes so we understand them. So do you get what I'm saying in terms of spiritual warfare? When you put all this together, every day in your life, you got a two-front war going on. You got a war With your eyes fixed on Jesus, the armor of Christ and the weapons of the Spirit, you've got a war outside of you dealing with the world. And you've got a war inside of you killing the old man and living unto Christ. Now what you're about to see is the church is always faced with a two-front war. We've got the dragon attacks us with the beast Of the sea and the beast of the land or the earth. Now, what are they? you'll take your bibles and go with me to let me go ahead and um give you an overview of what i've just said to you from john's uh perspective as he writes with the visions uh this is uh, revelation 12 is a breaking point from chapters 1 through 11 which is kind of like part one of christ at war for us and the war against us from the kingdom of darkness and that's described in chapters 1 through 11 and then we come to chapter 12 uh through um ...through chapter 22, which he gives us, he peels it back to let us see more of what's going on in this warfare against the Lamb... Against the Lamb and against the Church. Now look if you would at chapter 12 and verse 1. Now I don't have the time to dig down deep. I do have this series on tape on the Book of Revelation, not tape. I just dated myself again. Um, MP3, 7, 12, 14, whatever it is. Uh, you can get those uh, in the archives. But here is just I'm going to give you. I'm just going to look at the overview. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under Under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she is nourished for 1,260 days. This great apocalyptic book with all of its symbols uses a number of symbols to describe the period of time between the ascension of Jesus and the uh, second coming of Jesus, and this is one of them. It is a period of time in which the church is in the wilderness, uh, the body of Christ that's indwelt by the Spirit of Christ because of the redeeming work of Christ. So what we have here in this text is telling us something that has been in action, has been in action since Genesis chapter 4. Remember the promise. The promise in Genesis 3 was this, that I will give the woman a seed. Now you can immediately see the anticipation of the virgin birth because women don't have seed, but there will be a woman who has a seed, but the focus is not on the woman individual, but the woman that God has established through which the seed would come, the bride of God, his covenant bride, his church, Old and New Testament. Through that church, He will bring the individual woman and he will bring the one who is going to come to set us free. The one who will be bruised in his heel, but who will crush the head of the serpent. So immediately, immediately does not Satan go to work as Cain and Abel are born. And you can almost see the anticipation, can't you? The anticipation whereby she names. Isn't it interesting that that Eve names Cain? That with his name comes the declaration, I have received a man child from the Lord. Is this the one that was promised? Well soon we see it's not. In fact the Kingdom of God is being done through Abel, and then later through Seth. The line of the kingdom will be found in the, uh, through the line of Seth, and so uh, and Cain will be represented of those who are the daughters of men, and so there, the the warfare begins as Cain rises up to slay Abel. Satan is a murderer from the beginning. It is no accident that as God begins to move among his people in captivity in Egypt that there is a genocidal assault upon all the male children of of the Hebrews. Satan wants to prevent the fulfillment of that prophecy in Genesis 3. And the Old Testament is full of that. Satan stands before the woman to devour the child. Who is this woman? This is a woman that all of heaven puts its raiment upon. This is the woman that is clothed with the majesty of heaven. This is the bride of Christ. This is his church, that through his covenant people, Christ will come to save us from our sins. Satan is thwarted. He is not able. In fact, what he may think is success with fiendish laughter at Calvary is actually the fulfillment. And there, while Jesus is bruised, he wins the victory and he defeats the serpent. And Satan is cast down. He even says, I have seen the strong man bound Falling like lightning. So here is the victory of Christ. Does that stop Satan? No. He then brings warfare against the church. The ascended Christ is untouchable. But now he brings warfare against the body and the bride of Christ. He brings the assault against the um, against uh, Christ's bride. And as he does, Christ himself protects her, not from the battle, but in the battle, as she exists under the divine protection and being nourished by the Spirit of God and the Word of God from the throne of God where Jesus sits. We see that he says to us in verse 7, now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels th- thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their own lives even unto death. Now do you see what's being said in the, in this text? Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell to um and dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short you're in a battle the death struggle the death the death um, uh, efforts of satan will be uh, directed against the very bride of christ against the church of jesus christ and now, now notice we celebrate our victory Because the accuser has been thrown down, but he has not yet been destroyed. And while he wages war against the people of God, they still look to Christ and sing the victory of the Lamb. Yet there will cost the lives of many. The lives of many will be paid in faithfulness to Christ. And you can see the list of not only those faithful in the Old Testament And a list such as Hebrews chapter 11, but you can also see the list of those who have given all for Christ and have brought the victory of Christ to this world, even under the assault of Satan. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who was, who had given birth to the male child. But the woman, that is the very bride of Christ, was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half a time. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth and the woman to sweep and against the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But, God's providence intervenes. The earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth, that river he would, he would seek to sweep her away. I believe that's the river of the assault of intimidation, infiltration, and imitation using his schemes. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those, and who are those, those who, what is the identity of believers who keep 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 the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Then what happens? And I saw, as you see Satan standing on the edge of the sea, which in Hebrew cosmology is evil. What do you see? I saw a beast rising up out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads. You see the mirror image of the dragon. With ten diadems on its horns, and the blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Hear the echo of the beast from the book of Daniel. And to the dragon, and, and to it, and to that, to these kingdoms, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opened, and what does he say? It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it is, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Some will die. Some will die for the Savior under the assault of this beast. And authority was given to it, it was given it, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name was not, who, that has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life and of the lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. In other words, he has the power of imprisonment, the power of death, authority reigning throughout the world, even as the authority of King Jesus extends through the weapons of the Spirit and the work of the gospel. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, what is this beast? This beast rising up out of the sea very clearly in its reference back to Daniel are the succession of tyrannical governments that raise themselves up in the place of God. Governments that assume a messianic authority over all the people, that they are to be worshipped. They demand absolute allegiance. One of the most frightening things I've heard recently coming out of Washington was the statement when the Equality Act was passed that Christians cannot appeal to the free practice of religion to maintain the sanctity of sex within marriage and marriage between a man and a woman, that the state will now declare that as bigotry. Therefore, if you want to claim the First Amendment, the free practice of religion, then you'd have to have a religion approved by the government. Now we'll find out. Who do we worship? Will we have the principled obedience to Christ and worship the Lamb and be willing for the prison and the sword? Or will we demonstrate that we actually don't know the Lamb as we give up the testimony of Jesus for the acceptance of a state that assumes authority over the worship Of God's people. That is something that is always before us. And while we're only on the verge of looking at something like this. This has been the rule throughout the years. My goodness. I wish you could have come with me the eight times that I've had the privilege to minister in Uganda. And see those believers who existed under the satanic rule of Idi Amin and Abodi and to see their faithfulness in such persecution. And you obviously you see the rise of it as the Bible documents it for us. Here's the Assyrians. Notice, and I'm not going to try to name all of the, the ten kingdoms and the seven di- I'm not going to try to do that. I just don't have time to do that with you. But you see the flow in history, don't you? You see Daniel affirming it. Here come the Assyrians. Here comes the Babylonians. Here comes the Medo-Persians. Here comes the uh, Greeks. Here come the Romans. And then it has continued in succession with fascist governments and communist governments throughout all of the ages. That is the second person of the unholy trinity against the church. And that is the beast of the sea. Tyrannical governments who claim the position of God and the allegiance of all over God. But there's another beast. And look at me with me in chapter uh, in chapter 13, verse 11. Then I saw another beast riding out of the earth. It had two horns. Like what? A lamb. And it spoke, like, but it spoke like a dragon. Does that sound familiar? Does anybody remember Jesus, Matthew? I don't have time. I'm having to edit this out. Uh, but you go turn and read Matthew seven fourteen later. Do you remember Jesus telling us of those who appear like sheep, but actually are ravenous wolves? Here is a beast that looks like a lamb, but it does the work of the dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast. In other words, it collaborates with the tyrannical government. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its present and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. In other words, this is obviously the apostate church. This is the nominal church in its apostasy that goes into league to support the first beast of assuming a messianic role in the lives of people. We are God, we are your Savior. Instead of government, a gift from God in common grace to restrain sin. Here is a, the government begins to assume the position of God, demanding your adoration, your allegiance, and your affection with no qualifications. Not just simply what Christians do as we submit to all valid authority, unless that authority assumes the position of God and comm- gives us commands against the commands of God. Then we must obey what? God rather than man. But here is the second beast that decides no. The nominal church, adulterated and apostatized, that decides no, we will obey the government. And we will influence others to join us. As the religion, the false religion, the apostate religion, the adulterated religion becomes an instrument of the tyrannical government itself. It exercised all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast instead of God, the beast, whose mortal wound was healed. In other words, the second beast, you remember the first beast had a wound but was healed and was resurrected? Well, the second beast claims The support whereby the healing takes place, false miracles that will be done to persuade others to serve the tyrannical government. It performs great signs and even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceived those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. In other words, they will Dare I use this language? They'll rat out their own and turn them over to the beast to be killed. And then it also causes both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number of a man. And his number is six, six, six. Now, can I just, I know this deserves a lot more treatment than I could give it in four minutes, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you. You see, you've got to see the parallels in the book of Revelation. Here is the unholy trinity, and here is the triune God. Here is the result of Satan's work in the world, the harlot, the whore, Babylon. Here is the result of the lamb the bride of Christ. Here is the feast upon the martyrs. Here is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Here is the mark or the seal among God's people on their forehead. Here is the mark on the forehead of those who are not in the book of life. Now, as soon as I say that, everybody, well, you know, they're going to put a chip, you know, in my forehead or into here all of this. I mean, we begin to have all those discussions. Well, I, I'm sorry, I don't enter into that because I think the, the symbolism is clear. How does Jesus seal you by the Spirit of God? He comes within you, dwells within you, and renews your mind so that you think what will those who follow the beast? They will be committed to futile thinking. Their mind will be captivated by darkness. The lie deceives. And the second beast works hard to religiously promote a false theology in their minds and will even from the preternatural powers of darkness do signs and miracles that will draw people astray well there's a whole lot more i want to say to y'all tonight but i'm done because i'm out of time and then i get fired in fact uh, Uh, I heard there's a trap door that may open up here at any moment. But I will end by summing it up. I've given you this by the Spirit of God through John in the book of Revelation. Now let me give it to you as Paul gives it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll only read it for you. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now to encourage you, we'll be back here next Sunday... As we look at the beast, the first and the second beast with the dragon, loosed for a while, right before Christ returns. What does that look like and what does that tell us? We'll see that next week. But right now, what have you learned? You've learned the dragon... The unholy trinity is supported by the false prophet, the second beast, the the beast of the land and tyrannical governments and the beast of the land, the beast of the land apostate religion sells out to the first beast to do the work of the dragon in this world, to speak his words and to, and to adulterate the minds of those who follow while the people of God will be sealed with the truth by the power of the Spirit of God who renews their minds. Would you look with me, if you would, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word. Don't be anxious, he's saying. Don't be controlled by fear. And don't be misdirected by false communication are a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now, why would he say this? He said, here's why. Let no one deceive you speaking lies. That's what the second beast does. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, the coming of Christ, will not come unless the rebellion comes first. That's what we'll look at next week. That heightened rebellion right before the coming of the Lord. And the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. Do you see that? Before Jesus returns, there will be that authoritative ruler who not only takes the seat of rule in government, but also... Within religion, and false religion will support him. To what degree will that false religion? support his proclamation as God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. This has always been here. This has been here since Genesis 4. It's already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. In other words, there is coming a time where I believe this is referring to the whole Spirit is going to, that restrains sin and common grace. He's not, he's not taken away in redeeming grace. You're still sealed by the spirit, but his restraining work in common grace will be pulled back. And then you'll see the fury right before the coming of Christ unleashed. That's what we'll look at next week. And then what will happen? And then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will kill. The Lord does that to reveal the lawless one. And the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. Now watch with all power and false signs and wonders. Do you see what he's saying? There's going to be a religious movement of false signs and wonders. That's why, I, honestly, as a pastor, I get, I get so concerned. Not fearful. I'm not supposed to be fearful. But I get so concerned when I see people flooding to, Well, hey, let's go. I hear people are falling down laughing over here. I believe there's miracles over here. I believe there's miracles over here. And everybody starts to flock. Nobody's flocking to the preaching of the word, but they're flocking to the show. That's playing right into the hands of the first and the second beast. Because Satan can put on a religious show of false miracles done with power. If you don't believe it, go see what the Egyptian magicians did. That was not sleight of hand. So what we do is we don't build our Christianity on experience. Here's what the text goes on to say. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Why? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Instead of God's word being the foundation through which experience is evaluated and understood, they attempt to build a Christianity on experience. And you just hook your life right to the second beast when you do that. But God's people, they love the truth. And by the truth, they love their Savior. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's the same thing, that language Paul's using is the same thing that I'm preaching on in Romans. God, therefore, gave them over to their delusions. If that's what you want, a religious show, it's all out there. I love Pilgrim's Progress when Apollyon says this. Ah, Pilgrim, religion. I love it. I think everybody needs some. True religion. And may I say one more thing? I know this isn't even in the sermon, but let me go ahead and say it. Please don't use the phrase, Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. No, Christianity is not a religion made by man that says you get a relationship. Christianity is a relationship with Christ that gives you true religion. And it's manifested. So what we love is Christ. Revealed in his word. And we're empowered by his spirit. We're not looking for the next show. We want to see Jesus by faith. We want to hear Jesus by faith. Faith comes from hearing the word. Let's pray. God, thank you for the moments we could be together. Uh, Thank you, O God, that your word um, tells us what to expect, how to prepare for it in Christ, through Christ, that we have battles personally, we have battles to serve you corporately as a church. Would you keep us on mission, on message, and in ministry? And thank you, Jesus, that you use a faithful church to equip believers to remain faithful in their lives. And thank you, Jesus, that you take committed Christians as members of the body of Christ in order to maintain your church faithful in the Spirit, led by the Word, to the glory of the Father in the preeminence of Christ. I pray in his name. Amen.
0: You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader. Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.